evening, everybody. This is, a, this is yeah, woo! Welcome to the freest place in America. Can we please bring that dog up here? You gotta see this dog, please. Show this dog. This is a 4th of July dog. There you go, there you go. <laughs> Somebody call the SVCA. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to share with you, uh, you'd seen maybe some of you on Sunday with the pastor that had commented that uh, um, it, it's great, it, the best way to show love is to surrender your rights. And, and we all booed about that. And yeah, thanks. Um, but I, you know, I was I was talking with Dr. Keith Rose, and he said, you know, Rob, um, as I, I watched that, I, it occurred to me, um, and and I I, th I think you got it wrong. I, I love it when people correct me. And he does it so lovingly. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He said, Rob, uh, you're not demanding your rights. You're exercising your responsibilities. We've been given a gift of freedom, and if we don't exercise it, freedom is like muscles. If you don't exercise them, you lose them. And tonight, uh, and, and we're watching, um, you know, and Canadians hate it when I say this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Canada has always seemed to me like America's attic. <laughs> Hang in there, you'll, you'll understand. You seldom go up there, but when you do, you find really cool stuff. Now, the one thing that I've noticed with Canada is it's been actually a, a clarion call to the United States because I'm watching my brothers that are standing in defiance to tyranny being arrested. Now, they threatened to arrest us here, but they didn't. And, and still in America, if you stand in the den, uh, you find out that the lions don't have any teeth. But they, they don't want you to stand. Now, you go a little further north and you, you go into Canada and if you're a pastor and you stand in opposition to them declaring the church is non-essential and requiring it to be shuttered during a quote-unquote pandemic that has a virus that has over a 99.5% survival rate, and if you disagree with that, I'll just bring Dr. Judy up here and she'll eviscerate you. And, and, but if you stand in defiance, uh, they... They don't threaten, they arrest you. And I watched this man when they came into his church and <laughs> I couldn't quite get his accent and then I figured it out, it was from Poland. And he was saying, get out you Nazis. And I, <laughs> and I thought, I didn't know my dad had been to Poland and committed adultery and I have a brother. Uh, Pastor Arthur uh, Pulowski is uh, an uh, amazing man, and uh, I just am so honored to have him here. He's here with his son, Nathaniel, his oldest son. He's 21 years old. Are you dating anyone, man? No? Stand up. Show him how handsome you are. Come on. There we go. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Pastor Arthur Pulowski. 
one picture. Am I? Can you hear me? Thank you very much. Um, I don't know. Are you a pastor for for real? I'm a pastor for real. <laughs> Is he for real? So I, I don't know. Before I came here, they asked me this uh, very interesting question: Is are you for, for a this. fight? Yeah. Because we have a, a pastor, a fighter. I'm thinking, my God, are we, are we in the wrong place? <laughs> I'm a fighter, lad. Don't forget about it. I'm Scottish. You may be Polish, but I'm Scottish. I want to I address... Let's throw down. I want to address this thing. That's not a dog. <laughs> As a pastor, I cannot lie. This is a hybrid. I think this is a Chinese spy. Apollo, please do not shoot the Chinese spies in the house of the Lord. Could you tell us what you really think? No. First of all, first of all, welcome to Thousand Oaks, California. Welcome to God Speak. Uh, before you ever step foot in this, this building, your family. We're honored to have you. We all love you even before we met you. And uh, I love you as much as a man can love another man. Still be a man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you I love you too because you said you might be my brother. So that's right. You never know. Oh. Uh, you know what, let's do this. Uh, also, tonight with us, and I'm going to have him close in prayer, maybe share a few words at the end, is Pastor Joseph Bondarenko, who spent 23 hours a day in solitary confinement by the KGB for standing for the gospel. Pa uh, Pastor Joseph, would you stand up? He's all the way in the back. He, he said when he spoke at our church, he said, I've seen this movie and I know how it ends. And I'm watching it again. And he, he was arrested. His, his eldest child, his, his daughter, uh, was sharing uh, with my wife and I at dinner and her husband as well, that at their age, they were forced to stand in front of the school while the entire school would gather and they would point to that child and they would say, don't listen to them, they're spies of the United States. They would even send pastors into the underground church that were agents of the KGB that would preach in the underground church and then disclose where they were located. Yes. You know all this. Uh, Poland has, has had a rich history of invasion and domination. Fighters you are, but still you have experienced the enslavement and the misery of communism. You know what we're facing, and then God plants you in Canada where... There, our, our First Amendment, what's going on there? Can we turn that off? Just, yeah. Yeah, just show her how to do it. There we go. Great, thanks. You're not allowed to bring electronics into the church anymore. I have to say get out that's at strike, one that's point. That's strike two. You're not safe. And I don't want to do that. I do that only on weekends, so. so. So Canada has as strong, if not stronger, of a statement to protect the religious liberty, and yet 
your government has completely violated that. We saw the video of you being arrested on the freeway because they were too coward to go yeah. get the optic of arresting you in a church. Tell us and, and share with us because in a sense, you are a clarion call as, as was Pastor Joseph when he came and spoke to us. Tell these Americans what we're up against because this, is, this isn't a game. They're, they're, they're serious. You've seen the end of this movie. Take yes. over. Well, Polish people, we are very peculiar people. If for whatever reason, the enemy always wanted to attack us. So Poland is at the center of Europe, and we have been attacked uh, by the Ottoman Empire, by the Vikings, by the Genghis Khan, uh, Swiss, Germans, Russians for centuries. So freedom, liberty, if you will, is very deep into our system into our DNA, just like the Americans, we value freedom. A historical fact, Poland was the second nation on earth right after the United States of America to implement constitution. We were one of the few nations on earth that were actually electing kings. We were electing them democratically. So freedom for a Polish man is everything or nothing, is life or death. I remember the stories of my grandparents, as you can tell, I grew up in Poland, I'm a Polish immigrant, and I've heard the stories of my grandparents. My grandfather escaped Siberia to come to Poland. My grandma, she escaped Russian prison uh, with my great-great-uncle. He lowered my grandma on a rope and they escaped to Poland. That's how my grandparents met and here I am today. So. The second war started in 19, 1939. The Germans attacked Poland from one side. The Russians attacked Poland from another side. They divided Poland in half. But let me just stop you for a second because people think about Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. And by the way, my brother over there will remember when we were growing up, they were telling us to call Stalin, Diedushka Stalin, Grandpa Stalin. When we were kids, we were told to honor him as God. He was the savior of the world. The state always is aiming at a removal of anyone that is above the state. And that's what we are witnessing right now. The government wants to be your gods. They want to be the wannabe tyrants. They want to be gods. Whatever they say, it goes and you have to submit or else. So. I grew up hearing about the stories of Adolf Hitler, but let's go just a little bit before Adolf Hitler attacks Poland. What people do not know is that everything Adolf Hitler did was democratically approved and lawful according to the Nazi party. Adolf Hitler in 1933 was elected to be chancellor of Germany. And he started to implement law after law after law. Before that, he used people that were called the brown shirts of Adolf Hitler. Those were the people that were beating everyone and anyone that did not agree with the Nazi party. So any, any place, any rally, any uh, protest, any place that people would come together would be destroyed by the brown shirts of Adolf Hitler's. Hitler, and then later on, the brown shirts turned into SS. I'm sure you're familiar with that. By 1944, there was about a million of SS soldiers. They were the private guards of Adolf Hitler, and they were to do whatever he wanted them to do. He was the god, and they were the slaves. 
From 1933, Adolf Hitler murdered hundreds of thousands of people. We have to remember that the first victims of Adolf Hitler were Germans. We're not the Poles, we're not the Europeans, we're the Germans. Why am I sharing this with you? Because you think your government is here to protect you. But let me suggest something to you. If you don't put a check on your government, the government will always abuse their powers. They'll always try to take more and more and more. And just because they are democratically elected, it means absolutely nothing to them. They are abusers of power, just like Adolf Hitler was. Even though he was democratically elected, he started to enslave first his own people until he became the fear, he became God of Germany, and he was to reign for a thousand years, as you remember. He wanted to be the savior, and he was viewed by the German people as their savior. 1939, the Germans attacked. My grandparents told me countless stories of what the Nazis did. The abuse, the rapes. My grandma had to hide under the bed where officers were raping girls on top of her. I mean, the stuff I've heard over and over again from the older genera generation is unbelievable. I grew up in a country where you still had bullet holes in the buildings from the Second World War. The Russians were no better. And here is a fascinating thing that God spoke to me about this situation, because in 1939, the Germans were the heroes. They were the, the, the gods of this earth. They wanted, uh, they wanted to take it all. In 1945, the German women were not so proud anymore. They were not saluting to their fear anymore. They used to be proud of their fathers and their brothers and their sons. But in 1945, they were not, they were not proud about anything. Two million German women were raped by the Russians in 1945. Just, just put that in perspective. Two million German women were raped when the Russians were liberating Europe. Of course, that never happened. We were sold. Poland was divided. Europe was divided. Poland was given to the Soviets, to, to Stalin. And so I grew up hearing those stories. In the city I grew up, we had a concentration camp. And every year when I go to Poland, I try to always do my best to visit Auschwitz-Birkenau. Auschwitz-Birkenau is, is the biggest concentration camp in history. I, I've been there. Right? So you know the atrocities uh, that those people did. I go over there for one purpose. God speaks to me when I see different things, but also it's a good reminder for me personally, that if we do not put a check on those wannabe tyrants, if we don't put a check on those politicians, they will just go and keep taking and taking and taking. Bully never stops bullying. Bully needs to be stopped. Evil never stops. Evil has to be stopped. The, the, the word fascist has been so abused, and I think the best definition for fascist is just a bully. I've heard it so many times, and it's, it's a word that's been overused, and everyone's been called one. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. You're a Protestant minister from a predominantly Catholic nation. Pope John Paul II was instrumental with Reagan and Thatcher to bring down the Iron Curtain. And the Polish people uh, stood in opposition to the Soviet Union and were instrumental in bringing down the Iron Curtain. And it was that... that the, the three powers, uh, Thatcher, Pope John Paul II, and Reagan, uh, when he declared Gorbachev tear down this wall, he had that strength because of what was happening in Poland. That's right. Now, to be a Protestant minister from a predominantly Catholic nation, tell me a little bit about your faith journey, um, how you came to Christ, uh, uh, how you emigrated to Canada. We're, we're all getting to know you. We, we love you, but we don't know anything about you other than 
you're unbelievably brave, and we dig that, and that's a big asset here. And I don't like the Chinese spies in the form of weird dogs. We have done away with the Nazi dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the journey... The journey of my life is, is complicated. I grew up in Poland, Catholic nation. I witnessed the communism. I witnessed the boots of the Soviets. Uh, growing up in Poland under the communism and socialism is a constant lineups. I mean, my childhood was seeing lineups all the time. And I know for Americans and Canadians, it's very hard for you to understand what I'm talking about. So, give you a few examples. If you wanted to buy a kilo of coffee, you had to stand in the lineups for three days. And you would say, like, are you crazy? Uh, you, well, that's the problem. The communists are crazy. If you want them here, you have to stop for a second. And, like my brother says, Canadians, stop, think, smell coffee because you might not have it tomorrow. So I remember my mom coming from work and she heard there was a rumor that there is going to be coffee in a store in three days. So the lineup started to be formed. My mom would go over there, would sign up, she would go home and she would tell her husband, my father, and my father would replace her. And then when I came back from school, uh, she would tell me to go over there. And then she would went uh, home to cook. And, and you know, for three days, three nights, that's how everything was going on. One, um, one chocolate during some periods of my childhood, at sometimes we were not able to buy chocolates or bananas we've seen every two years, oranges every two years. Uh, but the fascinating thing for me every year was when my mom was able to buy a chocolate for me. And if she managed to buy a chocolate with peanuts in it, it was paradise. It was like, it was unbelievable. I was in heaven. I think, I think at that time I got converted. <laughs> so she would bring a chocolate for me and the peanuts were in it. And what I would do, so just give you an idea of craziness of communism and socialism that the kids do not understand. The chocolate has little bars, so I'd break the bars and I would lick the chocolate around the peanut and I would save the peanut for the next day. So the whole thing would last me a lot longer. Um, Constant lineups. We all looked identical. We had the same uniforms. We were commanded to speak the same way, uh, believe in the same thing. And like I said, we had to call Stalin, Dedushka Stalin, the Grandpa Stalin. He was the savior of Polish people. He was the savior of the world. Um, communists do not believe in God because God competes with them. You see, you have to drink. In communism, you have to worship the state. The state is the religion. And anyone that dares to be higher than the state, it becomes automatically an enemy of the state. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. So growing up in Poland, I've learned a lot about the history, and I've seen what disunity does. So let's just give, me, uh, give, give you a few, let me give you a few examples. And this is what I unfortunately see right now. In 1960s, Polish people, uh, there was an uprising by the workers. They stood up and they said, enough of communism. Uh, we don't want communism. We don't want socialism. And they took it to the streets. And they asked the university students to join them. The university students were not interested at the time. And they said to them, no, 
So the workers took it to the streets. There was the city called Poznań. After that, there was a revolution in Hungary, if you know your history. The Hungary saw what is happening in Poland. They got the boldness, and that's why I'm here. I'm here because courage is contagious. Fire is contagious. And we need more fiery people. We need more bold people. We need more Christians. The Christians are willing to not just live for God, but also willing to die for what is right. So in 1960s, the workers took it to the streets, but the university stu students didn't want to participate in this. And they were crushed brutally. The workers were shot, arrested, tens of thousands of people. Ten years later, the university students finally grew up to a point that they said, we don't want communism, we don't want socialism, let's deal with this evil, great evil. And they took it to the streets and they asked the workers to come and join them. And here is what the workers said, and let this be a warning to every one of you. There is no time for racism, division, denominationalism. If you are for freedom, you're my kind of a guy. Freedom to do what's right, freedom to continue your lifestyle. Freedom has to be an umbrella. Of course, for us Christians, Jesus is freedom, right? Whose son sets free is free indeed. Uh, but I will march with anyone that wants to allow me to worship my God. Amen. I will march with them. In, in 70s, they took it to the streets and they were brutally crushed because the, this time the workers were upset with them and said, you didn't help us 10 years before, we're not going to help you right now. And in 1981, and I think that's why God has called me for such a time as this, as Esther, because I've tasted everything. I've tasted the riches. I used to make $5,000 a day. I made millions a year. I was driving sport cars, eating in the best restaurants, meeting the most powerful people on Earth. I worked for the richest billionaires on, on the planet Earth. So I've tasted everything. I also tasted poverty and craziness under communism and, and dictatorship. Uh, so in 1981, I've seen with my own eyes the power of the unified people. You see, this is the power we have. If we come together and unite, the Bible says one can do a thousand, but two can do 10,000. That's God's mathematics. He blesses unity. There is no more time for divisions. The, the enemy is very clever, divide and conquer. I don't want to hear racism. That's from the pit of hell. There's only one race and that's God's race. That's, that's human race. We have one race, human race, and we, have, we, have, we don't have 72 genders. Okay? I don't know even if they can repeat all of those genders. I doubt it. I know only three genders. Male and female and stupid. Do not be in a category of stupid. That's reserved for BLM and Antifa and the White House that I now I call it Black House. So, eight, 1981, I saw the people coming to the streets. I saw the power of unity. I saw civil rights movement. I saw people going and willing to pay the price. We as Christians, we failed Jesus Christ. We failed God. I'll tell you why we failed him as a global, you know, on a bigger scale. Because uh, this church may be on fire, praise God, but we've lost nations because, you know, one light cannot do it. We have to come together to push this great evil. We, have to, we need the whole army of God. So, 
lament. In 1981, the people realized that they have to go and pay the price. It cost the father, it cost the father his son, it cost the son his own life, his own blood. Do you really think it's not going to cost you anything? As a Christian, do you really think the coming to the kingdom of God is going to be a kumbaya cruising around while Jesus himself says very clearly, pick up your what? Toothpick? Pick up your cross daily. Daily. That means there will be difficulties. There will be trials. There will be people that hate you, persecute you. Great is your reward, the Bible says, when all those different things happen to you. So rejoice. I'm telling you, rejoice. Be glad when those things happen to you because you have been found worthy. Worthy. And when my, my father says, great is your reward, you know what that means? That means great. Because God doesn't ex exaggerate like us. You know, when you catch a fish, it's that big and, and then it shrinks. It's a miracle, one of the miracles that we see all the time. When God says small or narrow is the gate, he means it. be careful. Be very careful. When he says something is great, something is big, that really is big. The Bible says that I have not seen, the ear have not heard what the mighty things God has prepared for those that love him. There is no time for division. We have to come together. Greater is he that is in us than the one that is in them. Polish people took it to the streets, 1981, in unity, workers with university students. They had one common enemy. And you know what they did? They did Martin Luther King Jr.'s civil rights movement. What they did was Mahatma Gandhi's civil rights movement. Non-compliance, yeah. peaceful. They didn't need the guns. What they did on masses, they went to the streets and they said, we will not comply with you. We will not work for you anymore. We will resist you. You see, uh, this is the beauty of the unity. There was 50,000 communists that were ruling over 36 million Polish, Polish people until one day, 36 million Polish people realized one simple thing. Wait a second. There is more of us than of them. <laughs> That's it. There is more of us than of them. When we will realize that simple truth, that God, you and God, you know that you and God, you're always the majority. Amen. One person with God is always the majority. Imagine all of us, even this room here, what power do we possess? This church can change the whole city. Now imagine all the churches coming together and doing one thing. Just one thing. I'm not asking for... a you know, if I tell you, climb the Mount Everest, I'll give you a million dollars, I'm sure there are lots of people going to do it. But what we are asking is a very simple thing, is say no, 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 no to the tyrants, I will not comply, I will not do it, I'm telling you no, and a simple two words, get out. Uh, no, get out. But you added Nazi. Get I out like... from my church. <laughs> get out from my restaurant. Get out from my White House. Amen. Get out. Amen. Actually, Donald Trump, the president Donald Trump should start using what I was saying. He should go to the White House and says, no, get out. Make sure you pass that information to the President Donald Trump. A direct line. It's amazing. That's fine with me. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you came to Christ through peanuts and chocolate. Um, I was, I was awakened by that. Awakened. 
but but how your mom and dad shared the Lord with you? Um, My father was not allowed to believe in God. And to this day, he struggles. He believes he's an atheist, and yet at the marches for Jesus that I organize, he cries, and he doesn't know why. <laughs> he says, this is weird. I said, Father, you know, Dad, this is a Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in God, but he says, I love the feeling. It's so awesome. Um, my mom received Christ a number of times. She's a believer. In Poland, she was the one that was sending us to, to church. Every Sunday, she was sending us to church. And believe it or not, I loved God, I knew he is, and I wanted to become a priest. And I ended up in a monastery to become a Catholic priest. However, I saw a great corruption in the Catholic Church. I saw such a hypocrisy. And I had to, I saw my, my older brothers in the faith uh, doing crazy stuff, drinking, girls, party after party, and, and just using money that were given by the parishioners for something else, just wasting it left and right. And I had to ask myself a simple question. Do I want to live a double life? Do I want to be a hypocrite? And I said, as a kid, I looked into the mirror and I said, will I ever like what I see by living a double life? Partying, drinking, women left and right, and then going to the church and performing all those different things, pretending I am someone that I'm not. And it turned me off so much that I ran away, and unfortunately, I ran away from God as well, because this is, don't do this. I associated the actions of men, their hypocrisy, their corruption with the holy God. I didn't know that he hated. You see, in Catholicism, they do not encourage, at least at that time, they did not encourage us to read the Bible. No, no one read the Bible. It was just the priest was saying different things once a week, and that was pretty much the end of the story. So I associated the corruption, the hypocrisy of those men with the Holy God, and I went to the other side of the spectrum. I became a businessman, a smuggler. I worked for mafia. I smuggled alcohol from different countries. I smuggled gold from Russia. We used to take a train apart, and we would smuggle gold uh, and, uh, and take to, to Poland. I smuggled everything. I mean, whatever you can think of, I did. Uh, cars, tapes, potatoes, tomatoes, cucumbers, um, you know, watches, alcohol, chocolates. At that time, I had plenty. Um, <laughs> bananas, oranges, everything I could get my hands on. And of course, everything was done by bribery. You had to bribe the mafia, you had to work with them, you had to bribe the police officers, you had to bribe the politicians, the whole system. You see, that's what people do not understand. Communism and socialism, that system is all based on corruption. Everything is corrupted. From the lowest to the highest, if you want to go to a hospital, you had to have a bribery for the nurse, for the doctor, uh, for the teacher, for the police, or police officer, for the politician, and that's how the system was going. I remember my mom always had something for bribery. My father, that's how everyday's life was going on. If you wanted to buy something, imagine a store, you have Walmarts here. Go to Walmart, close your eyes, you got all those shelves, and close your eyes and just imagine vinegar everywhere. And the only thing that was there was vinegar. Why vinegar? Because the Russians, that was the, last, the one thing that they didn't steal from Poland. They didn't want it vinegar, so we had plenty of vinegar. And the only thing they were saying was vinegar. If you wanted to buy something, you had to bribe. So, do you have this? No, no, no. How about now? Oh yeah, we can find something, let me look. 
That was everyday's life and the constant lineups. To buy a loaf of bread, I had to stand every Saturday in the morning in a lineup you could not see the end of it for one loaf of bread. Did, with the bribery and, and witnessing the corruption, when, when did this understanding of freedom and contending with tyranny, because corruption occurs in the soul of man before it manifests itself in the halls of government. So what was the renewal in Poland that awakened people to a desire to want to know not only was freedom something that they had to individually exercise in their life from being in bondage to fear, being in bondage to whatever it was, maybe they were addicted to alcohol because yes. the, the communists would suppress the populace by providing cheap liquor. That's right. Uh, when did this renewal and this awakening occur in, in the Polish uh, community and, and, and then you coming to a place of faith where you're so inspired that now you immigrate to Canada and now you're contending in a, in a Western nation that really should be espousing freedom but is now implementing tyranny. Take us through that if you would. Well, in Poland was faith, 100%. I remember, even as a kid, I remember seeing John Paul II. And I mean, lots of people are cutting Catholicism, and, and if, if you will look at the man that actually knows about the corruption of the Catholic system, that would be me, because I was part of it, and I was to become a priest. However, they've done amazing things as well. It's not all bad. Yeah, there, there's, there's good men in bad places all the time. King Sobieski was a Catholic. And let me remind you, King Sobieski with his hussars, the winged hussars, stopped Ottoman Empire from destroying Vienna and taking over the whole Europe. So, And, and C.S. Lewis was led to the Lord by G.K. Chesterton, who was a, a Catholic. I mean, my parents were Catholic. Uh, there, there's some great brothers and sisters in, the, in that faith. Obviously, there was this awakening in Poland. Pope yes, John Paul II was instrumental in that. He comes to Poland. I'll never forget that day. He comes to Poland, and the people erected this huge church, and they were carrying that church, uh, that, that uh, cross, and the tanks came, and the soldiers came, and they were ready to shoot them dead. But there was tens of thousands of Polish people with that cross, and finally the communists backed off. When John Paul II showed up, it was a very, very powerful moment because he comes uh, next to that cross and he says, Holy Spirit, and this is so amazing, Holy Spirit, come and touch this ground, touch this ground. And one million people, mm. the power of prayer, the power of inviting God back to the nation. You want to solve your problems? You want to you have a free country? There's only one answer. It has always been the same. It will always be the same. Bring back God to America. Amen. That's, that's, that's what Polish people did. One million souls when Paul John II came were crying out, and this is what they said. He says, Holy Spirit, come. And the people cried out and says, God, come. We need you. We want you. When America will reach that kind of a level of oppression, when the people will, by the millions, will not cry Donald Trump. I mean, no offense. I really like the man. But when I came here five years ago, I asked God, I was invited to Las Vegas to do March for Jesus in the boulevard. And I said, this would be the most incredible March for Jesus I've ever done. I've done some cool ones all around the world with Franklin Graham, Michael W. Smith, News Boys. I've done some amazing 
amazing things with big crowds, but Las Vegas, the sin city, the symbol of perversion. So I went over there and I said, God, tell me, what is the message for America? What do you want me to say to Americans? And at that time was Donald Trump debating Hillary Clinton, the witch. So he was debating her. And I arrived in Las Vegas, and this is the words he gave me. He says, tell Americans that Donald Trump is not their savior. I am their savior. I am their savior. As much as you may like that man, I really like him very much because he is a man that speaks what he thinks. That's me. I love it. That's why I was not afraid to insult your something you have. Because I love to be free. Jesus set me free, and Donald Trump is that kind of a man that wants to express whatever is in his heart. That's why he ends up in hot waters. But I was there on that ground, and I said, God, I want to do March for Jesus over there. And you know what happened? I was sharing messages with the pastors and the churches over there, and there was no, no, no No, and I realized America is not ready. America is going to be judged. America is going to be attacked from within. America is going to be subjected to some terrible, terrible things because America has forgotten who gave America all those blessings, who gave America all this freedom. Polish people have forgotten. Polish people have forgotten about God and when after decades of oppression, when finally they were subjected to such a cruelty, when a police officer could come five in the morning, beat you up, and there was nothing you could do about it, when you could be arrested for just reading a pamphlet that was not approved by the Communistic Party, when you could be arrested for five years jail time for listening to a European radio, when the police had those famous saying, give us a man and we will find something on that man. And that was going on for decades, when the courts were so corrupted that you could possibly not even expect a just verdict. Finally, the Polish people, by the millions, said, God, we need you, we want you. That's what broke the yoke of oppression. And if it comes to me, what's that? If it comes to me, it was a woman. Uh, that led you to the Lord. That set me free. Amen. And then enslaved me again. Yeah. <laughs> I have two bosses. Yeah. I have two bosses. I have a big boss. I am terrified of him. I have a healthy reverence towards my father, God. He is not just my papi, my daddy. He's also the king of kings and right. the lord of lords. But I also, amen, I also fear my wife. I'll tell you why. Because what I learned after 30 years of being married is that the worst thing that can happen to a man is to sleep with an enemy. I'll tell you why, because when I'm facing you, you know, if you attack me, I'll probably hit you with the Bible, right? But when you go to bed and you close your eyes, you have no idea what's going on. And that terrifies me. So I made my choice very early in life to make peace with my wife, and we are on a good terms. I can sleep peacefully. So wise man, there's there's two things. well, the first one is, I, I haven't achieved that. My wife is evil. When I sleep, <laughs> when I sleep at night, she connects tubes to my body and what steals my youth. I want to see She's her not eyes. Here. I can do this. She connects tubes to my body and she steals my youth and transfers her fat. And it's just really, I, I haven't figured out. And she's so beautiful and I know why and no one believes me. But I, 
well, I'm sure she's more beautiful than you. She's stunning. She's, and I have to tell you, she's my wife, not my daughter. And I have to keep reminding people that. But I wanted to say this. Um, th there was a town, and forgive me for the mispronunciation of Nova Huda. Uh, yeah, Nova Huda. They had created it to remove God from any, it, no mention of God. It was completely right. designed to be secular. And it was there that God moved. I preached in, in that city. Powerful. Yeah. That's exactly what they wanted to do. Um, during our childhood, we were always ta uh, told a story that Diedushka Stalin can give you anything your heart desire, uh, desires. And, and because we didn't have candies, we didn't have chocolates. So what they did, actually, they would bring us stuff and they would say, this is from the Communist Party. So they would bribe the kids. Um, in Russia, they didn't do it in Poland, but in Russia, I've heard stories where they had open uh, ceilings, and they would say in orphanages, they say, pray to God for candies. And those little kids would start praying, God, bring us candies, give us candies, and, you know, nothing was happening. And then they were told, okay, now pray to Diedushka Stalin, to Grandpa Stalin, and they would open the hatch and would throw the candies. And so, you see... God is dead, but Stalin is alive. Nothing is new under the sun. The same tactics that they have been using before they are using today, the brainwashing of the kids, the misinformation, uh, the lie after lie. You know, truth is like a pillar. It stands on its own. But lie has to always be supported by more lies, yeah. propaganda, misinformation, disinformation, and terror, fear. Because lie cannot stand on its own. No. You, it has to be supported by fear. What do we see right now is terror, is fear. They're telling you to put a mask on. Let's just talk just a little bit about the tactics of Let's the Let's talk enemy. a lot of it. Go ahead. Keep going. We're, nobody's going anywhere. So, you know, I'm tempted to say get out. <laughs> Um, so let's just talk a little bit about masks because that's a fascinating topic. I studied history, uh, history of slavery. And what I find fascinating about what I'm seeing right now is that the symbols of slavery are identical to what we are seeing right now. So for example, uh, there were many times where the slaves were told or commanded or forced to wear a mask, a muzzle. Why? Because there was a clear message. To break a man, they had to break his spirit, his soul, his mind. And this is what they're saying. Put the muzzle on. Put the muzzle on because you have no identity. You have no name. We don't care about you. We don't care about your face. We don't care who you are. You're just a social insurance number. Put the muzzle on. You are nobody. Also... What the muzzle does, it says, you have also no voice. I'm taking away your right to speak. You have no say, you have no voice, you have no identity. In other words, you are just a slave, you're nobody. Have you ever wondered why they're forcing us to put the muzzle on? We know that the virus is 1,000 times smaller than the bacteria. We know that this stupid thing doesn't work at all, as useless as any. Throwing out. sand at a chain link fence. So that's right. So why? That's why. Because they're conditioning you. They're turning you into slaves. This is the greatest elimination of the middle class, small and medium-sized businesses in the history of mankind. Why? Because in order to implement slavery, they need to remove what? Opposition. What is, who is going to oppose them? Well, the crazy rich are part of the problem. So that's why you got Walmarts open, that's why you got Ikea's open. Costco. That's why, 
right? Amazon, all of those different people are open. It doesn't make any sense because the virus only attacks the small businesses, never the big ones. <laughs> uh, it's a very smart virus. For example, I can take this whole church to IKEA. It says in Calgary, at least, maybe you're in a different country. But in Calgary, it says 400, only 480 people allowed. But if I have my brother for dinner, I just committed a crime. But I can take my brother, and if I had a sister, and then her sister, and you know, uh, the whole neighborhood and my whole church to IKEA, I'm, I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. It's totally legal to do that. But to have 100 people in a church, 20 people, 10 people in a church, that's an offense punishable with arrests. So we know that this whole thing is not what they are telling you. They are eliminating small and medium-sized uh, businesses, the middle class. Why? Middle class people are highly educated, well-traveled. People traveled around have seen places. So you cannot easily fool them. Oh, they have been in Mexico, they have been in Europe, they have been in Africa. They know, they've seen things. Also, they're highly educated and they're highly patriotic. You see, in Poland, patriotism was punishable by death. You know that? Under Stalinism, patriotism was punishable by death. If you were a patriot, you were shot dead. I'm not kidding you. If they find out that you fought the Nazis, you were shot dead. Or you would be arrested for 10, 15, 20 years. Patriots are a no-no for totalitarian governments. They don't want your allegiance to God. They don't want your allegiance to the flag. They don't want your allegiance to America. What Antifa is doing in BLM? Desecrating the flag, right? Patriotism, because known are to us the devices of the enemy. They're just repeating the script, they're flipping the pages, and they're implementing. In the Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago, he's, the, the two things that they went after were churches and gymnasiums. And we found that here in Ventura County. They went after BSF Fitness and every other gymnasium, shut them down, and shut the churches down. They, they don't want you physically or, or spiritually conditioned to be able to contend with the evil they're implementing. And, 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 you know, George Orwell writes 1984, and it's a warning, not a blueprint. That's right. And we're watching them implement it, and folks just seem clueless to what's happening. And to have you here and share this, tell us what's transpired in Canada and, and why other pastors have not stood with you and, and what has it taken for that church to become so put to sleep? And, and yet you're standing and, and you're, you're, you're visiting churches in the United States, but there's not a lot of them. You, you would hope that there'd be more. And, and you're visiting the ones that we're connected with. Uh, and, and America needs to awaken. But tell us what's going on in Canada and how you got to this fellowship. How did your church stand with you? Did some leave? Um, and I imagine they didn't because the way you teach and the way you preach, they knew what they were getting when they came. And if they're still there, they're just like the folks here. They're, they're ready to go. They, they're, we've already, yeah, we've weeded out whoever wasn't supposed to be here. And now we've got warriors. So we're good to go. Yeah. In my church, in my church, um, either you're dead or you run for your life. So those that died stayed and we have tripled in size uh, since this craziness started. What I mean by that, a good preacher, a good teacher, the follower of Jesus Christ is a killer. When you come to a right church, the pastor's job is to lead you to the cross. 
is to help you die. And I always tell people, you know what, I can hang you myself if you're looking for assistance. Uh, but you have to die. I mean, if you came here to have a life, then you're in the wrong place. The mega churches across the street and they will entertain you, they will juggle for you, they will kiss you, but they will do all kinds of different things for you. But you come here, you come here to die. I want you dead. Dead to your ambitions, dead to your plans, dead to your life. Because the Bible says when you die, you truly live. You see, there is this famous saying, not every man dies. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. That's from William Wallace, the famous Braveheart story, right? And but it's so powerful. Scottish, by the way. I, I know, I know. I love Irish. I was in Ireland. I... And Scottish, too. Yeah. You know, we see... The Irish are a wee bit different than the Scottish. Uh, not no. to a Polish immigrants. When I went all over, they blended very quickly with me, the Irish, the Brits, and the Scots. I said, why are they fighting with each other? They look the same to me. Is I, you know, sorry. I know, Thanks for I know. joining us tonight. Let's all... Uh... <laughs> When I see a, a leg moving like this, it worries me. I, it just, yeah, I'm nervous. So I really what, think we're going to throw what down. Happened, you know, what happened in, in, in Canada, it has been happening for a very long time. You know, people say and come to me, it's like, what happened to our kids? I said, well, you have not been paying attention for a very long time. You see, what happened to the churches? That's the first question. Churches became apathetic, uninterested. Churches that refused to go. What is the greatest commission? We say that the greatest commission that Jesus has given us is go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So I say in the churches, I say and I ask them a simple question. How many of you are followers of Christ? Let, let me see. You're all followers of Christ. You sure about it? You know, they know it's an entrapment. It is. So... If you're followers of Christ, let me ask you this simple question. Where was the last time you did what Jesus did? Where was the last time you fed the poor? Where was the last time you lay hands on the sick? Where was the last time you went and you hang around with the sinners? Because Jesus, my Jesus, the one in the Bible, it says he was a friend of sinners. He was called a glutton. He was called a drunkard. Why? Because he would be seen all the time with questionable characters. Because he loved, you see, he came for the sick. So majority of his time, Jesus Christ spent with the sick. Right now, what we have in our churches, we don't want the sick to come. I'm talking about as a general. In our city, I observed myself, when the homeless would come, the security would kick them out. When they were demon possession, say in a church, they would be escorted out. No pastor would lay hands on them and cast out the demons. They would not lay hands on the sick. They would not do anything because you see, that doesn't generate money. Homeless people do not bring their wallets. I remember one time I was being coached by a famous man, a very wealthy man, a pastor, and he says, Art, I need to teach you how to preach. And you know, at that time, I led hundreds, thousands of people to the Lord, but I was very poor. So he says, I need to teach you how you should preach so you can generate the funds. And he took me for a coffee, and he says, here is what you do. You look at them, and instead of preaching to them, you preach to their wallets. And first you get their money. When you get their money, then you can preach whatever you want. You see, is that not what happened to our churches? The pastors have become businessmen. 
our churches have become corporations. It's all about money. In Poland, we have this famous saying, if you do not know what the whole thing is all about, it's always about money. So let's look at our churches and why Canada is the way it is, why America is the way it is. Where was the last time you fought with abortion? Where was the last time you went to the politician and you said, you bloody murder, you're supporting slaughter of our babies? Where was the last time you went to the politician and said, you are allowing perversion, marching, perversion, marching on our streets? In Toronto, in our city, in Canada, million people come together for the perversion, naked in front of our children, parading their sin, the Sodom and Gomorrah sin, in front of children. And the mainstream media love it. The politicians are marching with them, police officers in their uniforms, soldiers, everyone is marching with them. In the city of Calgary, we have 50,000 perverts marching, and people love it. Every single day in the city of Calgary, they're murdering children. And they shut down churches, calling us unessential services. But do you know that abortion clinics never shut down through the whole pandemic? Yeah, we Liquor stores didn't shut down. Marijuana stores did not sh shut down. We are being called unessential services. And I'll tell you something. I think we deserve that. For so many years, we were uninterested in the kingdom of God. I'll give you an example. Where was the last time you came to God with a different attitude? Here is what I see on a regular basis. I see Christians coming to God and this is what you say. God, give me, give me, give me, give me. I need this, this, this. Please, 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 please give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And it's like we treat God like some kind of a vending machine. We want more. We want this, we want job, we want extra car, we need better house, whatever it is, we need healing. God knows we are needy people, don't get me wrong. We need stuff, yes, we need his help. But if that's the only thing you do, how pathetic we have become as children. If your child would only come to you, not to hug you, not to love you, but always ask for a dollar, that would break my heart. If my children were only coming to me, not to love me, but because I am giving them something, that would be the most pathetic thing I ever witnessed. Now we come to God and we always demand more. So God spoke to me one day and he said, you want to touch my heart? I want to ask you this question. Do you want to melt the heart of God? Do you want to touch his heart? When you want to touch God's heart, do something different. Come to the church and instead of asking him for more, he died for you, he rose from the grave for you, he created paradise for you, he, did, he, he has given us everything we need. Amen. Everything we desire really is for us. Sometimes the difficulties are nothing because we're just passing through. Come to church and come to God with a different attitude and instead of asking him for more, say this to him, Daddy, you have given me everything my heart desires. What I can give you today. What I can do for you today. You want to touch the heart of God? If you want to touch the heart of the Father that loves you so much that he has given his only begotten son that died for you on the cross, come to him and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, I am avail available. You know, I said to him at the very beginning, you know how many times they asked me to preach and every single time I said I can't listen to my English? I'm the most pathetic, I would, be, I would become the most pathetic pastor ever with my English broken. I said no, I said no. But I prayed to him and I said, God, if you want to use me, I am not the most talented man, I'm not the most educated man. Listen to my English, my God, you know. 
I'm not the most qualified man to, for the job. But if you want to use me, I, I, I literally for three weeks came to, the, to my knees every single day, three times a day during, uh, during a crusade when they were asking, what do you want from God? And I always came and I asked, I want the fire. God, give me your fire. Give me your passion. Give me your heart. Let me see the people at least a little bit through your eyes so I can love them because I'm telling you, you people are very unlovable. <laughs> and that's the truth. If I was God, I would wipe you all out. But thank God, and you should be very grateful that I am not God. <laughs> but our Father is so amazing. I mean, I am consumed by his love. I do not, Pastor, I do not understand his love. I would, my son is right there, and I'm telling you, sorry, but if it was him or you, you're a goner. <laughs> and that's the truth. My love is not My son is right there. Stand up, Danny. Let him see you in case he wants to mess with you. I do the same. You see? Because we are not capable of that kind of a sacrifice. You guys be friends. But imagine, but imagine what God has done for you and me. I mean, for a second, try to comprehend that kind of a love that the father gives his son for his enemies. Right. Not for his friends, not for his brothers and sisters. We were his enemies when he died for us. I would not die even for my friends. I mean, I would not sacrifice my son for my friends, but he sacrificed his son for his enemies. This is a love we cannot understand. So when I said to him, I said, God, here I am. I don't understand your love. Your love is, is beyond my understanding. I'm just too, too small to comprehend that. But if you want to use me, a little me, use me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. And that's where the fire came. And I'm telling you, I, when I stood up from that ground, I was not the same. I was not the same. I, I've, I've found myself, I kind of like, a, I feel like I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump. I don't know if you know the, the movie, but... I watched it a few times. Yeah, you can I, learn a lot from that movie. Yeah. But I, I find myself being brought into the court of kings uh, and people that I would have never have had the privilege to meet just simply doing the same thing we've been doing for 20 years and all of a sudden what we're doing matters. It mattered then, but now people are starting to realize it matters. And, and now we're watching as what typically happens in Christendom is a move of God starts to happen and people realize they can profit from it. And so then people join in this and they see a way to make a bottom line. And we don't pass an offering bag. We don't ask for money. We've never made it about money. I don't care about money. It's irrelevant to me. And, and I have to say, we've had the privilege of having a number of folks come to speak. And when I asked uh, Julie, uh, what, what is Arthur's uh, honorarium? I don't even know that, so. It, they, they said, he doesn't take one. We don't expect anything. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you're gonna miss the check we wrote for you. <laughs> but but th that, that to me is a telltale sign because there's no bigger stick to hit someone over the head with than God to rake them of, of, of all that they possess and to preach towards the pocketbook. Keep whatever you have. But what's contending and happening here is for liberty. Yes. And that's valuable and precious. And I, I've shared this story with the congregation and I, I imagine yours was very similar. That 
when the county and the state declared us non-essential and then gave us a restraining order, of which we violated, the night before that, and I, I share this with people, everyone gets scared. Yes. It, 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 you get scared. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your spouse, then your kids, your congregation. You look at that and you're concerned. And, and they have that tool of fear and they figure out ways to come in. And it was that night when we knew, at least I knew in my heart, I needed to violate that restraining order. And I went to my wife and I said, honey, I, I, I haven't talked to the attorney, but the likelihood is we're gonna lose our house, we'll lose our, you know, and I went down the whole list. And, and her response was similar to what Victor Mark says, that you know, she's the kind of woman, she would rather be a widow than be married to a coward. And, and my kids are the same way, yeah, amen. My kids are the same way. They just, Dad, this is what we've always known. It's all, we're good. Yeah. Take it all. We, you, and, and my dad was the same way. My dad didn't leave me a dime when he died. Neither did my mother. But they gave, me, they gave us character and a love for this country. Now, they didn't know the Lord completely until the end of their life. But even there, they transferred that. When, when I went before the elders, I said, look, you guys have a fiduciary responsibility. There's 15 of you. They can take all your stuff. They can take everything. And these are businessmen, and they're wise. And I said, you have two choices. One is, I am going to violate the law tomorrow. So if it's not unanimous, then the only other choice you can make is, you have to accept my resignation. And they were unanimous. You know, I was thinking, I, gotta, I told my wife, I, I might have to find another job. But, but they were unanimous, and they weren't threatened. It was a willingness on their part. And even the landlord was in agreement. Like, we gave that building to the Lord a long time ago. Go for it. He actually said something else, but it was cool. <laughs> so at that point, what I realized, what took away my fear, and, and I, I want them to hear your story, what took away my fear is I went down the list with the attorney of everything that they could take from me. And, and he had an exhaustive list. And I asked him four separate times, is there anything else? And he kept adding stuff. And my chest was tight, my shoulder hurt, and, and just anxiety. And he's laying it out. And I finally, he, I said, is there anything else? And the fourth time he said, I can't think of anything else. I said, I know you can't counsel me to break the law, but I'll be breaking the law tomorrow. Will you defend me? He said, yes. I said, good, will you be available to, to speak to the elders when I get back from Sacramento? He says, I can't, I'll be with my family. But there was another attorney on the line. Her name was Netta. And uh, her maiden name is Higuera, but her, her, or her married name is Higuera, but her maiden name is Palestinian. And she's been through this mess. She came from a Palestinian family, a Muslim yeah. family, and she's a Christian. And, and he said, Netta, will you be able to speak with the elders? And there was silence. And Bob Tyler said, Netta, are you there? And she said, I'm here, Bob. I'm just choked up. She said, I never thought the country that I would flee to from the one that caused yeah. their people to wear burqas would force their citizens to be muzzled. And she said, I had lost hope for America until now. And she said, Rob, I'll be there tomorrow. And she was with the elders, walked them through it. The secret to me of losing the fear was once I had realized everything they could take, I gave it to the Lord. I don't want it anymore. Take everything I have, but give me liberty for my children and my grandchildren. I'm good. The, the pain in my shoulder left, the joy came, and the fear was replaced with faith and a boldness 
that I can't describe other than the Lord providing that. Did you have a similar experience? And if so, will you walk us through that so that they can see how their lives, each one has to make an individual decision, measure all it is that they're going to take and ask yourself, is it worth it? And be willing to surrender it. And when you do, you lose the fear. Can you testify to that? Do you agree with it? Add to it, take from it, run with it. Yeah, so first of all, we have to go back to the Bible and see what God sees. He says, I wish that you would be on fire, hot, or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out. Why hot, why cold? Well, he wants us to be hot because that's how Jesus was. He was hot. The love was hot. Why cold? Well, cold because there is hope that you can become hot. But when you're lukewarm, that means you've tasted the goodness of God and you said, no, I'm not interested. America, Canada, Europe, the Western civilizations tasted God and they became lukewarm. When you become lukewarm, God is going to shake you. About three years ago, I had, um, God spoke to me. He says, you're about to see the greatest separation between the sheep and the goats and the sheep and the wolves in the history of mankind. What do we see right now? We see the separation between the real sheep. Sheep know the Lord's voice. The goats are very peculiar. They want to do their own thing. They're very mischievous, they're very rebellious, and the Bible says that rebellion is like a spirit of divination. It's like a witchcraft. So the church has been practicing witchcraft for a very long time in disobedience. And God was waiting and looking for those people and and seeing them practicing from the pulpit witchcraft. And finally, he says, enough, I'm sick of it. Sheep also are very peculiar animals because they love to come together. They love to spend time together. They, they, they take refuge within the flock. They feel stronger and warmer, and they can defend themselves. They come together. What was the orders of the governors, the premiers? Separate, separate, social distancing. Have you wondered why they are using the wording social distancing and not physical distancing? Right? Most of the time is social. Why social? I mean, I could not figure it out at first. It doesn't make any sense. You mean physical, because the virus attacks physically, right? When we come together, right? But why social? Because they want to, right? They don't want the interaction. They don't want the warmth of our bodies. They don't want us to hug each other. They don't want us to feel that we're together. We're not. By the way, this may be a surprise with you, but we are not with the politicians in this together. I wanted to say that. Yeah, we are not in salary. this together. They are on a separate place. We, we are in this together. So, continuing on the sheep and the goats, there are also wolves. Majority of the pastors, I preached at the pastors' conferences. I traveled around the world. I have been places. I started churches in Europe, Africa, Caribbean. I mean, everywhere. And I have tasted the hypocrisy of the clergymen. And what I've seen, I hated. I didn't like what I've seen. Actually, the worst people that I've met were the pastors. I prefer prostitutes, and no offense to you. And, uh, 
and, uh, and the alcoholics, then the pastors, I mean, they are lukewarm. They are the biggest hypocrites I ever met. What they say from the pulpit was nothing when we hang around and I could observe them privately in their hotels, in their, you know, the interactions, the things that was coming out of the mind, for example, the arrogance and the pride. The first thing uh, I noticed as a young preacher was, um, what's your name? And they would say, first thing, bishop so-and-so, and archbishop so-and-so, and, you know, apostle so-and-so, and pass. So I started to mock them. I mean, that's what I do sometimes. <laughs> I would say, that's very, oh, um, archbishop, that's very interesting that mom gave you that kind of a interesting name. Archbishop, wow. And it's like, what are you talking about? It says, you, well, I ask you for your name, and you're giving me archbishop, so that, that's your name? And then they figured it out. I was mocking them. Pastor, you know, pastor so-and-so. I said, oh, so your mom named you pastor. That's very unique. Because my brother has a construction company and doesn't come and say, I'm a, constru I'm a construction worker. David Pawlowski, I'm a painter, David Pawlowski. You know, it's arrogance and pride. And the second thing they were always asking is, how big is your church? And I would say, well, it's, it's big enough. It's about 1.2 million people. And it was like, wow, who are you? You know, suddenly I will have a crowd of pastors and like, this guy, this is a huge church, mega church, the biggest in Canada. I said, yeah. Where is your church? Calgary. Oh, I didn't know that there's that kind of a big mega church in Calgary. Yeah, it's the whole city. That's my church. I pastor the whole city. So wolves, be careful with the wolves because majority of the pastors have become wolves in sheep clothing. They're not here for you. They're hired guns. I call them the hired guns. The hired guns, they are doing this because it's just a job. It's a good gig. They're getting salary. Uh, they have nice life. Uh, they, you know, they meet. They go to restaurants. They're being invited all the time. I mean, it's a good, good lifestyle. So they're doing this as a job. But the Bible says that when, you know, there's no greater love than this, Jesus says, that a man would give up his life for his friends. So when the enemy comes, when the wolves are coming, what do the hired guns do? They're nowhere to be found. I'll tell you what they do. They hide behind Zoom chats. Yep. They hide behind Zoom chats and they run away at every side of trouble, tickets, danger, arrest. They're nowhere to be found. But the real shepherds... Well, and they, and they hide behind the skirts of the tyrants. Yeah, that's right. You know, Romans 13, right? Yeah. I have been hammered by this so many times, and I'm thinking to myself, you people, you call yourselves scholars and theologians. Read the whole chapter. They're there for our good. When they right? cease to do good, they cease to be the authority. There you go. Read the whole thing. A good government will give us medals for our job. An evil government will hunt us down because we have entered an era where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. So the hired guns are nowhere to be found, but the real shepherd is willing to pay the price, is going to fend off the hyenas to fight with the wolves. God also has given us two weapons. He has given us a staff and a stick for a purpose. Those are weapons to fight off the hyenas and the jackals and, and the vipers. And I've heard, I went to Washington, D.C. I'm telling you, I saw so many vipers and snakes. And uh, I've seen lots of scorpions there. Uh, plenty of them, especially in the capital. I saw a big snake in the White House that is now the dark house, the black house. Um, so you got plenty of those types of animals as well in this animal I, kingdom. I just, you know, you're, you're picking on our president, but I'm thinking what about president? Trudeau, and I, you know, I'm just saying. I, I, <laughs> come on, man. 
They, they like my answer better. What's that? <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I was just, well, I, I could now go I'm all afraid. day about that guy, but He's, I'm going to leave. Your son is looking weird at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trudeau, I mean, come on. <laughs> so, wolves. Yeah, you want to avoid that conversation with uh, your leader. But you know, ahead. where were we? The wolves, um, you know, the, the sheep, the goats, and the wolves. Now we know who is who. And the beauty about this, you know, what we see right now, we can say this is a terrible thing that we're seeing. But brother, you know, if you're real, if you're truthful to your own, I actually like what I see. Me too. You know? Because now we know who is who. I mean, we have been lied to for so long. We have been cheated by our leaders for so long, and they were always, they were, they were, this was always the game of pretendee. The pastors were pretending to be pastors, the politicians, they were pretending to be the politicians, to serve and protect. Right now, I know who is who. Yeah. I, I wanted to uh, share with you an insight, because uh, as a pastor who was, who was a politician, and believes that the, the church, the word church, ecclesia means public square, that we are yes. to push back the gates of hell. And we invented the word church 400 years later to submit to an oligarchy. We're supposed to be engaged in the welfare of, of the city. We're supposed to apply, because he said, make disciples of all nations. That's, That's right. boundaries, borders, constitutions. And, and that the law, Galatians 3, is a school teacher, guardian, to point us to Christ until faith comes. So our communities need those type of laws that protect the citizenry, the laws of nature, nature's God. So when, when people would say to me, I can't believe you voted for Trump. He's been three times married and twice divorced. He slept with every woman in New York based on his own admission. His, his tweets are caustic. He's, he's, he's bombastic. He's vile. He's prideful. And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't vote for pastor-in-chief. I voted for commander-in-chief. I want a bodyguard for Western civilization. And, yeah. but, but let me add this. They said, how can you defend him biblically? And I said, it's just, it's real simple. If you struggle with him, then you need to take Samson out of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. This is a man who, yeah. the, the spirit of the Lord came upon him when he had been in a prostitute's bed all night. What was the, the, his downfall? His iconic hair and women. Yeah, that's right. He went to go pay off a gambling debt, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But of all the children, there's only two that were prophesied in all of Scripture that would deliver God's people. One was Jesus, and the other was Samson. He had a Nazarite vow. The guy was homeschooled, and he went off the rails. The first words out of his mouth is, that Philistine woman, I want her. There's nothing moral about Samson's life. You can't teach him in Sunday school. But he's in the hall of faith. And it says in Judges 14.4, what, what Samson's parents didn't realize, Manoah and his wife, is that God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. That's right. He was speaking and, and, a fight. And you talk about these, and, and I'm not talking about dominionism, but you talk about seven mountains of cultural influence yeah. that, that any sociologist would look at. You have arts, entertainment, education, media, politics, religion, and family. And one other I've forgotten. But you look at Trump. Let, let's look at media. Number one television show in America. Uh, 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 arts, arts Entertainment, number one t television show in America, media. He, he won the election with a Twitter account. Uh, business. The Trump brand is world-renowned. He gets that. Politics. He took out 17, what, 17 Republican candidates and the most heavily funded Democrat candidate in the history of the country. 
family, he's been three times married and twice divorced, but his, his kids love him and his ex-wives have a good relationship and friendship with him, and his kids are doing well independently. And then you, you look at religion. Okay, 2 Corinthians, he struggles over the passages, but he is a man who's seeking, and no one's done more for religious liberty and for the unborn in my lifetime, yeah. including Ronald Reagan, than this president has done. Samson knew how to battle, and he was willing to do what God's people weren't, confront the enemy. I, I don't think he divided the nation as much as he was a highlighter to show where the boundaries were. So when you're saying, I can see it now, I attribute it to a man who stepped into office and highlighted everything, and the people who are livid, it's kind of like when you turn a light on in a barn at night, the rats scurry and the birds sing. Yeah. And, and I, I love what Churchill said. The man was cursed to have been born in uninteresting times. And that's not true for any of us. What a wonderful time to be alive. Oh, it's very interesting. What a wonderful time to be alive. Yeah. You know, it comes to voting for imperfect people, you know, this is what I have to say. If I was an American, I would vote for Trump, and I would vote for him uh, for a political office not to marry him. <laughs> so when you're voting for a politician, you're not voting to marry him, you're voting for him to do a job, to protect our liberties, to stand up, to serve us, and to protect us. And yes, the guy is not perfect, but show me one that is. Show me one that is perfect, and I will slap you in the face and say you're a liar. Pa pastors, that's a good line. You, you've probably faced this, but pastors say, you know, I, I, politics is dirty. I don't participate. I go, the church is dirty. So what's your point? Yeah. And no, then they, but but they also the say this. They also say, uh, I, I'm tired of voting for the lesser of two evils. And I always say, unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser of two evils. That's right. No, that's absolutely true. You know, um, about before this craziness started, I had a vision. And God doesn't give me many visions, but when he does, is, is, is either a prophecy about what's happening. For example, in 2006, 7, and 8, I received a prophecy about Canadian oil. And I would stand at the steps of the city hall in Calgary, and I would prophesy. I didn't ask for any prophecy. He says, say it. I did. And this is what God says. I'm going to take away your oil. I'm going to strike down your pride. And you will be thirsting for different things that you have right now, but there will be none for you because of arrogance and evil and, you know, pride and murdering children, parading sin, all of, all of different things. But before COVID started, I had a vision. And I saw a big fence. I could not see the end of that fence. And I saw people sitting on the fence. And you see, that's the problem with the churches. For so long, people were being entertained. They were just observants. They were cruising around. They had so much fun, and they were just observing. And God says, that's enough. I saw big hands, and I knew those hands were God's hands. And he grabbed that fence, and he literally shook it so violently that I saw people all over the world, I mean, I could not see the end of the fence falling, some to the left and some to the right. When he was done shaking this earth, this fence, no one was sitting on the fence. And I'm telling you, he spoke to me, and this is what he said. He said to me, when I'm done, everyone will have to make a choice. Right now, today, every one of us are making a choice, either God 
or the enemy. Choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. If you are willing to serve your idols, go and serve them. Go and serve Biden. That's fine. That's your choice. God has given us choice. But if you're willing to serve God, serve him with everything you have, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all everything, with the whole being. So right now what we're seeing is the greatest separation between the evil and the good, the real and the fake. And I love it because right now I know which pastor is the real deal, which Christian is the real deal. You know, I have a, a, a saying in the church when this started and throughout this whole craziness. I would say, you want to know the spy? You want to know if there is a spy among the churches, the goers? You just do this. Achoo! <laughs> Pastor, there are no spies here. Yeah. Even the dog state. Yeah, yeah. Forgive me, that's not a Chinese spy, because yeah. if that was a spy, it would be running for his life. Because the virus would get him. So the truth is, I would walk around and say, you, you. I'm telling you, I had the whole store to myself. It was, so, it was so beautiful. It was so amazing. I could just cruise around free without the lineups. So because I'm allergic to lineups because of my childhood. So I'm using, I'm capitalizing on everything I can. So how it started, because I'm sure people are interested how this craziness with arrests and everything started. It started in 2005. The church has become apathetic, uninterested, lukewarm for a very long time in Canada. Church allowed the Bibles to be taken away from our schools. Church allowed the prayer to be taken from our schools. Church allowed the Ten Commandments to be taken from our political arenas, from our court system. Church allowed the evil to dictate the church what the church is allowed to do and what the church is not allowed to do. And the people did not stand up. The salt lost its saltiness. The light refused to shine. When the light refuses to shine, what remains? Darkness. If you kick God out, the devil remains. So this was going on for a long time. 2005, I'm feeding the homeless people. I'm feeding thousands of people. Police shows up. And they say, I am not allowed to do this. Giving free goods and services, it's against the law. Uh, distribution of printed material, Bibles, against the law. Congregating, barbecuing, preaching, baptizing. You know what I had? In Calgary, when I was baptizing people, I had... The whole aquatic team, rescue team coming because someone called them that I am drowning people in a river. <laughs> they came with their whole suits, divers, with their boats, the whole nine yards. That's how crazy Canadians have become. Not kidding you. You can watch it on YouTube. It's insane. So I had police coming all the time, tickets after tickets after tickets. And I remember this conversation, a mega church lawyer called me, and this is what he said. He said to me, Art, the guns are too big, the city is too powerful, you're not going to win this. We are suggesting for you to close the shop, to close the church, and just submit to the wishes of the government. And I remember I hang up the telephone, and I saw a global television coming. They were coming to interview me, 2005. And I, this is what I said. I closed my eyes and I said, Jesus, you've heard this man. They have all the money. They got the most powerful church in the country and they're telling me I cannot win. What do you say? You know what he said to me? He said to me, Art, Arthur, it's time to shout my name. It's time 
to shout his name. That's why I started Marches for Jesus. I love that name. That's the name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. At the name of Jesus, every, every shackle will be broken. Every, every chain will be destroyed. Every man will be free if that man is willing to be free. 2006, I was the first clergyman in Canada to be arrested for publicly reading Bible. I was chained, I was shackled, I was arrested in a very brutal way. They forced me to walk backwards. You only arrest extremely dangerous uh, people that way. I faced one year jail time. That's 2006. And I faced seven criminal charges for my crime of reading the Bible, no amplification, six parishioners, me in a park, and I was arrested. 2007, 8, 9, 10 years, I received over 300 citations, tickets. Some of the trials were as big as three weeks. If you murder someone in Canada, it's a shorter trial than three weeks. If you feed someone in Canada, then you will face three weeks trials. I, received, I faced over 100 court cases, dozens of arrests. I fought with Attorney General, Minister of Justice, number of premiers, number of mayors, uh, aldermen, uh, you know, members of parliament, senators, you name it, and the mainstream lying propaganda machinery all the time at every corner. The mainstream media called me worse than a syphilis. You know why? Because they said you can cure syphilis, but you cannot cure the city of Calgary of Arthur Pulaski. <laughs> what a nice people. That's a good compliment. When people say, uh, Art, I hope I'm not butchering your name, and they would say my name, I would say, you know what? I have been called worse. It's <laughs> no, not a big deal at all. I mean, nothing shocks me anymore. I have been called everything. You know that when you Google my name, apparently I am a part of Aryan Guards. Aryan Guards is the most vicious gang in America. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, praise God, every time I Google my name, I learn something new about myself. <laughs> you never know who you are until you Google it up. <laughs> you never know who your friends are. You know, apparently I am a racist and white supremacist and a trumper. Okay, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. So 2005 to, 2000, uh, to 2015, I have been subjected to a constant harassment. I won my cases, I won the trials, I was vindicated, and they left me be. They left me be for a few years until the COVID came. And here is a short story of the COVID hysteria. March 2020, I received a letter from the city hall. And here is what they said. You have to stop feeding the poor because there is a great pandemic and people are dying left and right. And uh, you have to stop doing what you're doing. We're shutting down your soup kitchen. We're feeding thousands of people. About 15 to 20,000 homeless people are roaming the streets of Calgary. In their wisdom, uh, the government shut down mental institutions, so half of the clients that we deal with are mentally challenged. They're sleeping in bushes under the bridges. You can't tell them wear a muzzle. They're not dogs. They know better. You can't tell them to physically distance. They, they, just, they just don't cooperate. So I said to the government, it's better for me to keep feeding them. I'll do my best to keep the distance of whatever you need me to do, but let me feed them, because if I stop feeding them, they're going to whack your head. They're going to attack your house. They're going to pillage, they're going to destroy, they're going to break into the garages and, and, the, and the cars. They disagreed. I appealed it to the minister, to the premier, and no one cared. 
So in the beginning of April, I was the first, again, first clergyman to end up with a COVID ticket. Twelve police officers, um, my parishioner was shafted, assaulted, I was threatened with arrest and a million dollar fine. That triggered this ongoing, non-stop harassment, intimidation, videotaping, pictures until December. In December, the federal government, provincial government, municipal government declared that they are canceling Christmas. I don't know if, you, if it happened to you, but the government actually went on television and said, we're canceling Christmas. And the first thing that came to my mind was this, oh, you devils, I'm canceling you. <laughs> You cannot cancel Christmas. So I went on television and this is what I said. I'm canceling you devilish politicians and you are useless and unessential and I'm inviting everyone to the biggest Christmas party in the country. And you wonder why they don't like me. Well, we had thousands of people showing up. We had Christmas carolers. We had AAA stakes. We had hundreds of gift bags. We had um, preachers, testimonies, an amazing, amazing time. We also had over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, 20 cups on bicycles in our little church, and we, I end up with 11 COVID tickets. So that's outside streetchurch.ca is the website. You can see what's going on over there. But they did not show up into my building. They left us be, and I was very happy because I'm not looking for a fight. But if you want to come for a fight, I'll give you the best fight you ever dreamed of. <laughs> you got to remember, I'm a Polish immigrant. And I am a Christian. And you see, we as Christians, we should be the biggest fighters that this earth has ever seen. We have a heroes of faith. You mentioned one. But we also have David that fought with the giant. We all, you know, you see, David would never become a king if he would not fight with the bear. If he would not fight with the lion. If he would not fight with the giant, Goliath, he would never become the king of Israel, the greatest king. Not the perfect king, we know the story, but nevertheless, Jesus came out of that line with Bathsheba. So, uh, it, was, it was not for the stand of Mordecai, refusing to bow before evil Haman, before evil Biden, before evil, uh, what is that medical devil you have, the lying one, Fauci. I call him a liar because he is such a good liar. Um, but Fauci, right? If Mordecai would not bow before Fauci, the liar, then he would never see who in the end would hang on a nicely built gallow. So those people are building the gallows. They're standing defying the armies of the living God. They are mocking us. They're laughing. They're calling us unessential services. But when my God shows up, it's over for them. And God always shows up. We know how the story ends. We know we win in the end. You want to see Jesus Christ? Do you want to see Jesus Christ? How many of you would like to see Jesus Christ? If you want to see Jesus Christ, you have to go to the fire. Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego were told to bow before Fauci. They were told to bow before the Biden, the lying pretended to the President of the United States. They were told to bow before them and give them honor. But what did they do? They said, oh, great king, we will not bow before your image, golden image. And if God will not rescue us, so be it. We will die. Off they go to the fire. But who shows up in the fire? 
Jesus. You want to see Jesus, you got to go through the fire. You want to become the king in the kingdom of God, you got to fight the giants. You want to become the Queen Esther, you have to say, if I perish, I perish. For such a time as this, God raised us up for such a time as this. This is our time, Amen. our time to shine. I've never seen, I've never seen, I've never seen bigger amounts of people coming to the kingdom of God than right now. And I'm telling you, I have been around for a few days. I've seen and I led thousands of people to the Lord. Right now, I received the biggest amounts of letters from atheists, Buddhists, and Muslims. I've never received so much attention from non-believers. They are saying, Pastor, what I saw encouraged me, and now I'm going to the church. Pastor, I am an atheist, but what you did, now I want to become a Christian. Thousands upon thousands of people are sending me emails. This is a time for the church to shine and be truly the salt of this earth. The, the part about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that I love is the only thing that got burned in the fire were the ropes that held them. They were set free. And, and when you stand in the fire, you will be free. Yes. And not only will you see Jesus, but you'll be set free. Uh, we're limited on time. I, I was going to ask Pastor Joseph Bondarenko. Are you telling come. me get out? No, no, no. <laughs> we, what I was going to... Just kidding. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, your, your humor is good. I really like it. Can we have Pastor so Joseph come I up? I couldn't help myself. I'm okay. evil. And I'm going to have him uh, pray over you uh, because this man, amen. Thank you, sir. Я понял из того, что сказал мой брат Артур, что сегодня нужны вдохновенные петры с мечом, которые рубили бы не уши, а языки, клевещущие на имя нашего Господа. From what I've realized, what my brother Arthur has just um, shared with us, that today the church is in a great need of bold Peters that have swords, but these swords not to cut off ears, but tongues <laughs> that lie. Amen. 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 Когда меня держали около года в холодной воде, я работал ледяной. Сказали ты живым не выйдешь или выйдешь без ног. When I was kept in prison and was in a labor camp to work in icy cold water up to my waist, I was told by prison guards and administration that I will never come out of that prison alive. But only our wonderful and mighty Lord Jesus was able to deliver me from that dungeon and not only to be free, but to walk on my feet and be here and be inspired by brothers like you. Бог дает нам силу наступать на всю силу вражью. Do not compromise. 
And only the Lord, you got that part, and only the Lord gives us strength to uh, step over all of the evil plots. Do not compromise. So let us pray. Would you please stand up for prayer? Трудные часы борьбы. Иисус пал на колени и взывал к Отцу Своему. When we look up to Jesus, we know our precious Savior, in the moment of his most intense battle, he fell on his knees. Мы сегодня живем в судьбоносный час. And today we're living in a very epoch times. Когда Дух Святой коснулся моего сердца, when the Holy Spirit touched my heart, я сказал, I said, Иисус, Jesus, my life is your life. It belongs to you. And my faith belongs to you. And lead me and do whatever you want as you find it fit for me. And I don't know whether life or death is better for me. It's up to you, my Lord. And I said, Lord, I wanted to be with you when you're going to be going to Golgotha. And I want to be with you when you are going to be mocked and spit at. And I, Jesus, I want to be with you when you are going to be beaten and will be smeared. То, что мы сегодня услышали, брат Артур сказал, today, what, uh, когда Артур он превозносил имя Иисуса. Jesus, мы пред ним и поклонимся в молитве. So Отец небесный, Father, ты сказал, чтобы мы воздавали руки без гнева и сомнения Ты if you are worthy, our Father, you have given us the most precious and beloved and the most precious for your heart for me, for my salvation, for our salvation, and for the people that are perishing today, Lord, you gave your life. And we're praying today, Lord, that you would revive your church, that your name is going to be proclaimed across the nation. And give us and embolden us Lord, and give us strength to, Lord, step over all of the evil that is, is marching on. And give us strength to go um, against all of the demonic um, uh, plots. And I know, Lord, that we're standing uh, by you and with you and uh, with your love. Because you're a victor, Jesus. На престоле милости, но ты, Господи, и сидишь на престоле правосудия, как судья. Lord, and we know that you are God, merciful God, but you're also a just God. Мы просим тебя за народ Канады. And today, Lord, we are praying for Canada and for the people of Canada. За их, за церковь Канады. And we are praying for churches of Canada. 
за служителей. Мы молим Тебя, дай силы героям веры стоять в проломе. Объедини народ мы верим, что ты, Господи, скоро придешь. Мы любим тебя. Мы служим тебя. Мы поклоняемся тебе. Мы благодарим тебя, что Благословишь народ в Америке противостать против коммунистической чумы. Lord, and we're thankful that you will give us strength and all of your people to stand against the communist evil, Lord, in this country. Против этой страшного вируса социализма, который вкрадывается в сердца правителей, вкрался и в сердца народа. And for this horrendous, Lord, socialistic virus that is being penetrated into the hearts of the government and people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are victor. Thank you for the victory that you are going to give your children and give all of us. And we believe you will give to America and people of America. And in Jesus' name, we're raising our voices and our hearts to you and our prayers of thanksgiving and praise from all of the faithful hearts of your people and for this beautiful church that you have revived for your glory and for the faithful servants that have this church has that have raised the, uh, the, the, the love of Christ above all and they've stood in the gap for your truth and for the gospel. Hallelujah, Lord. And in Jesus' name again we pray. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you can't have to. Can you sing? Uh, if I sing, everyone will run. <laughs> All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the Аминь. 